0: This is Keith Rainwater with the Designated Drummer Podcast, and I have a co-host with me today. Hello, Amelie. Hi. <laughs> Amelie's my daughter, and we're up here in Canada right now, um, where I thought the weather was going to be warmer, but it's actually kind of still freezing cold.
1: Lower your expectations <laughs> when you come here. Yes,
0: exactly right. I mean, usually you come up here in May, and it's like spring, and the birds are chirping, and it's just not like that right now. But I bet as soon as I leave, it will be nice and warm, and the birds will be chirping, and it'll be just like perfect, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. It's about right. So, Amelie's going to high school at Aldershot High School, the same high school that Jim Carrey went to. Mm hmm. Yep. Alrighty then. <laughs> and what's funny is, didn't you say that uh, when your teachers or somebody was telling us that, but when you asked some of the students and they didn't even know, they were like, who? What? yeah. yeah what do we, you mean?
1: We talked about that last time that, um, like, it was probably my first day or my first week at that school. And people had been there. It's it's also a middle school, so people had been there since, like, grade 6 or 7. Yeah. And my teacher said, what famous person went here? And everyone was like, um, famous person? What are you talking about? And I'm like, it's Jim Carrey, guys. This is my first you know, day, Ace Ventura, and I know pet detective. Like, <laughs> how do they not have his... Li- I thought I, I went in there fully expecting they would have his picture framed, like... Yeah, as soon as you walk in or something. Center, right. yeah. yeah.
0: Well, so um, I thought uh, we could answer some questions today. So I'm, I'm here with Amelie, and we I get a lot of questions about things like, uh, what kind of drums do you play? And I know that I have covered this on my podcast before, and I've even done one with you before, Amelie. Remember, we did one before you co-hosted with me before and um, fielded questions and stuff like that. So um, I do get a lot of questions, and... I'm gonna to try to answer them all. So every time I get a good collection of questions, I try to do a question and answer podcast, and I thought we would do that today. So cool. Yep. So Emily's gonna read off the questions, and we may also sort of talk about them a little bit, and I may ask your opinions and some things like that, so.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Um, so question one is, why is it so hard to commit to making music and being in a band?
0: Why is it so hard to commit to making music? Well, first of all, I will say before the being in a band thing, I will say it is difficult to make music because a lot of people don't know how to do it technically. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody has a phone pretty much, and they have a way to record, but as far as way to record, say like drums and bass and guitar and getting the right microphones and getting the right uh, effects and things like that on there to make music. I think that some people get intimidated by that. So they, they, also, there's also the thing of writing a song. A song is a kind of a complex thing, wouldn't you say?
1: Definitely, yeah. yeah. I
0: mean, right, you've got like a verse and a chorus and sometimes a bridge, and you have to figure out where all that goes. And I mean, people that do it for a living, they sit in a room like all day long and they, they just hammer out line after line. And it's, it's to me, it's just, it's so frustrating. I've done that before. And I'm about ready to just pull my hair out by the end of the day because I'm like, I don't want to talk. I'm sick of this song already. Mm-hmm. I don't want to keep, you know, like, uh, I don't want to keep stressing over this one song. But mm-hmm. yeah, and the people that are good at it are good at it and they make a living at yeah. writing songs.
1: It definitely takes a certain kind of person to make music, like actual music and write lyrics and not just give up right away. Yeah, like right. someone who's creative, someone who has a lot of words going on in their brain all the time and they can just put things together. Yeah, that's true.
0: But I will give a little bit of advice though for young people that are thinking about it just, and we we were actually doing an interview last week with American songwriter magazine, the band Lone Star. And uh, one of the questions they had was um, sort of like, uh, you know, what's it like writing a song? What's the process, that kind of thing. And it's really cool the way songwriters do it is that they, they sit in a room and they, they come up, they hum a little bit, they hum a melody, and then they, they'll throw in some actual words, and those hums become more words as the song goes, mm-hmm. as it gets written. Um, but I will say um, advice for young people is write what's in your heart. Whatever mm-hmm. you're going through, it, when you're young, it seems to be that's the very fruitful uh, ground for l- song lyrics because you're young, you're discovering things. Oh, we got cats meowing in here. Um, you're discovering things and you're you're becoming a young adult and that's that's um amazing things to write about. The, mm-hmm. the experiences and things that you go through. And you have just to write what's in your heart. It doesn't have to rhyme right away, but you know.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I, I definitely hear that from like from young artists that are like in their twenties or thirties that they'll say, I've been writing songs since I was a kid and I wrote the song when I was 16 or 17 and I it's the best song I've ever written and I'm like um, maybe I should take advantage of the fact that I'm still 16 or like I don't know I'm too I'm too lazy to start writing music.
0: <laughs> well, um I would just say for young people to write down what you're going through, even if you don't write the song right away, write down, keep a journal or whatever, and write down feelings, even if they don't make any sense. If it's just like words, if it's just a, a feeling and then you jump to another feeling and then that feeling leads to another feeling, whatever, just write it down. Even It may end up sounding kind of like a poem or, a, or, or, or some kind of a weird language or something like that, mm-hmm. but you, it could end up being a song because if you look at the lyrics of some rock songs... I mean, they're pretty out there. Mm -hmm. I mean, they kind of have meaning to them, but they're sort of metaphoric, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Alligator, lizards in the air. I mean, what does Mm -hmm. that mean? You know, that's one of the most famous songs.
1: Pepperoni and green peppers. Yeah, right. That's the lyric.
0: Yeah, Yeah, exactly. I mean, just write what's in your heart and what you're feeling and what you're going through. And then maybe someday you could turn that into a song. Um, Now, the other part of that question was, being in a band, like, wh- how is it? Uh, why is it so difficult to to come up with songs and to be in a band? And one of the hardest things about being in a band is getting like-minded individuals together that will commit to rehearsals and uh, writing appointments and recording sessions and all that stuff. You have to you have to really be all in in order for it to work. Because if you have, say, a guitar player and a bass player and a keyboard player that are all in, but the drummer's kind of like, eh, I gotta, I've got, i got to work today or I couldn't get the day off or mm-hmm. uh, I promised my girlfriend I would, uh, we would go, you know, run in or whatever. Um, if, but if you have a committed group of like-minded individuals that get together and they just can't wait to do whatever it is they do and they treat it like a, a business, then yeah, I think you could be a successful band.
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um. Next question. Next no, question. Okay. Next question. Why is the beginning of a band or artist always labeled as the starving artist?
0: Oh, I see. So the term "starving artist." Well, that I think that's pretty simple because that's an easy one to answer. Because in the beginning, when you're first starting out as a singer or an artist or something like that, people don't know who you are. I mean, and I mean, think about someone like. Um, What's, what's an artist, who's an artist that you like, that you listen to, for um, example? Radiohead. Radiohead. When Radiohead first started out and they had their first single out, nobody knew who they were. Radiohead, what does that mean? You know, it's just a big yeah. question mark. Mm-hmm. And then they may listen to the song and go, oh, I kind of like that song. Or they may hear a song on the radio that they don't know who it is and then they go, I really like that song. Who's that by? Yeah. And then they'll say radio hit and then that kind of that ball starts yeah. rolling and people start associating the name with the music and that mm-hmm. music starts getting out and then you do another single and you get it takes a while for you to actually make a living to where people are willing to spend hard earned money to go see a show of a band that they know is gonna be good and they've heard before mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. So that's yeah. why the starving just means you're doing anything you can to yeah. <laughs> to make ends meet mm-hmm. and you're probably working another job and then you're probably doing music on the side or something like yeah. that, which is totally fine. But um, yeah, I think that's, why, mm-hmm. that's where the term starving artist came up is because, and, and I remember when I was starting out, I remember thinking in my mind, and this has helped me through the years, I am going to be a drummer even if I have to starve to death. I remember mm-hmm. thinking that. Like, I don't want to do anything else. I just want to play drums. And if I do it, good enough well enough i should say well enough and i stick with it and all that somebody will pay me money Mm -hmm. to play drums yeah and yet if it's just enough to buy ramen noodles and instant mashed potatoes and uh an avocado every once in a while then i'll be fine you know and i can pay my rent whatever you know i was happy with that and luckily i kept getting better and better and practiced a lot and gotten lone star and now the rest is history. So,
1: yeah. yeah. And I think it's also a matter of perspective. Like um, someone who's just starting out, who's genuinely interested in like a, like a band or an artist who's genuinely interested in being successful, they'll do anything to get out there because they need to. They know that what they have is valuable and that no one will see them until they get the proper resources and until they get noticed by the right people, like and if um if some popular artist were to do the same thing people would be like oh okay yeah it's fine it's cool like it's a matter of perspective people see um smaller bands as less than and they're like well this doesn't have a lot of listens it's probably not that good which is entirely untrue there Hmm. are a lot of um indie bands and stuff that are very good and they they get fewer than a thousand listens a month which is really sad but you know, I'm I'm hoping that um, the industry recognizes their talent and
0: yeah you know and so I think they have to play for free a lot. Is that well, that's where the starving thing comes in? In order yeah. to get your name out there for people to see you, you have to mm-hmm. play for free. And then if
1: know? if uh, like that that would be labeled as a starving artist. And then if some big time Grammy award winning artist were to play for free at a bar, people would be like, oh, they're so humble. They're so they're so cool. <laughs> that that's
0: so cool. They're playing for free. Um. So what's what's our next question?
1: Um. Why don't people make music? Why do people
0: make? Why don't people make
1: music? Why don't people make? Why, music? Don't, people make music? why don't people make music more? I think. I think I
0: answered that earlier when I said it's technically difficult and mm-hmm. it's yeah. probably. Um, I think they're intimidated by it. Honestly, I think uh, a yeah. lot of people yeah. think that. Oh, I gotta have. And of course, back in the early days it was even more that way because you had to have a lot of money to yeah. go into a studio and you know, and then in the eighties they had like four tracks and eight tracks and that you could buy, but still the music quite wasn't the quality. Nowadays you can go buy a Pro Tools rig for a few hundred dollars, you know, six hundred bucks or something like that, and get a you could probably for less than a thousand dollars, you could probably be set up to record an album. I would say that for sure. Mm-hmm. And now it's just up to your creativity. You know, so yeah. I think that's what kind of holds people back. They're like, yeah. "What's? I don't know what to do. I don't know what to write about." And
1: yeah, I think. Stuff like that. I think it's more now the lack of creativity or motivation because, like, I could whip out my phone and, and make music anywhere. Right. Like, if I have GarageBand, that's that's free. I have you have so many different sounds on there. You can make so many different genres of music. You can make whatever you want. It's just a matter of taking the step of actually doing it. And actually being creative and like just messing around and you might actually create something cool but to me it's intimidating because there is so much out there yeah. there's there are so many different like like i'll go through all the keyboard sounds and be like oh there are like a hundred of these and i like half of them which one do i choose for a song right but you don't have to choose you can make a song for each one you know yeah and like You might have a hit song on your hands if you just... You just don't know it, yeah. I think of it
0: as like Leonardo da Vinci with a pencil. What's the the cost of a pencil? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, I guess a dollar, maybe not even a dollar, but you put it in somebody that doesn't know what they're doing's hands they're going to draw a stick figure mm-hmm. but you put it in the hands of someone like picasso look at what they can do with it you know mm-hmm. or or a painter
1: yeah. you know
0: you give someone a little set of paints and what are they going to paint but if you give them to a really good painter they're going to really make something out of it and i think of music is kind of the same way
1: you yeah know? and but it's more uh, it's more accessible now because as you said back in the day, you had to have the money to even start making music or trying to make music. Right. You had to buy guitars, keyboards, microphones, whatever. You had to um, like. You had to go rent a studio, a studio for like yeah.
0: fifteen hundred dollars a day at least. And but
1: now you can use your your phone microphone, yeah. and it's better quality than, than I know professional right? microphones in the seventies. Like like that's you, crazy. you can do anything. Everyone everyone has a pencil, but yeah. whether they choose to use it or not, that's yeah. the
0: thing. that that was a good question
1: yeah um how many hours or how long do you practice before each show drumming
0: oh drumming had practice drumming okay so before every show i had for years and years i had undertaken that i was going to warm up before the show and the older i get the more i tend to stick to this you know (laughs) um and I'll make myself go, and about 20 minutes before the show, sometimes 30 minutes before the show, depending on how long of a show it is. If it's a 90 minute show, I know that my wrist muscles and my arm muscles are gonna get not tired, but they're gonna get sore later, you know, because I play pretty hard. So I have a practice pad set up. Uh, my drum tech, Chase, he sets me up a practice pad somewhere off stage, back by the drums, uh, 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 behind the curtain somewhere, you know, um, and he'll set my sticks. And my pad there. Just, he's great. I love him. He's he's awesome. He always has me set up every day. Mm-hmm. And so I go back there and I do rudiments. I go right right, left, left, right, right, left, left. And then I'll switch to right, 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 left, 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 right, 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 left, 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 left. Mm-hmm. And then I'll go eight times per Arm. Mm-hmm. I go one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. So right, left, and then back to fours, and then back to twos again. And I and then I'll do stretches with my sticks. I take my sticks and hold them together, and I stretch my wrists, kind of like you're stretch, like you'd stretch before you go running. Mm-hmm. I stretch my muscles a little bit, uh, and I do that for probably twenty to thirty minutes before the show, and it it really does help a lot. Um, yeah. But that's it's kind of practicing in a way, but it's really more warm up, warming mm-hmm. up. Now when I practice by myself not before a show but just at home i practice on the full drum kit and i'll practice patterns that i want to work on i'll do things with my right foot in my left hand and my left foot in my right hand and i'll try to just do exercises like that
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah um next question so this i like this question um and i would like to know the answer as well do you practice actual songs that you're gonna play or just technique and speed?
0: Okay, yeah, that's a good question. Um, yes and yes. Um, if there's a song that I was wanting to learn or someone wanted me to record, like they're gonna do a cover of something, so I have my own home studio set up, mm-hmm. like a cover of something, I will actually learn the actual song. Um, a good example is, uh, We are Lone Star. We're working on a new record where it's a kind of an experiment where we're going to do cover songs of girl artists. So female artists cover songs. And Drew will be singing. Obviously, our lead singer, Drew, he'll be singing them. And we all the way we're going to record this album is um, Drew will Maybe he'll lay down the vocal or something in a click track and he'll send it to me and I'll put the drums down and I send it to Robbie, our bass player. Robbie puts the bass part down because we all have studios in our homes. We all have like home studios, you mm-hmm. know, like Pro Tools and all that. So we're passing around these tracks to each other and then at the end of which we'll have like 10 cover songs by female artists that withdrew singing the, the male perspective of it, the male vocal on it. And uh, that's something that I have to sit down and learn the patterns, the songs, and I kind of put my own stamp on it, but at the same time, I have to learn the arrangement. So yes, I do learn specific songs that I need to do. And then I also, when I'm not doing that, I work on uh, speed and technique. Yeah, there's there's a thing that I do that is really cool that I sort of developed myself where I um, I go I go right, left. So I'll go right hand on the snare, left hand on the f- first tom, right hand on the floor tom, kick, kick, right and back the other way right hand on the floor tom left hand on the first tom and back the right hand on the snare so it's dead it kind of um I kind of go... And that's I practice speed on that. Mm-hmm. And I've got it down towards like... Because <laughs> it's kind of going up and down and back up again. Does that make sense? Like if yeah. the snare is the highest thing, let's say. And then in in tone, it goes down. The tom and then the four tom and then the kick drum. And then the four tom and then the high tom and then the snare again. So it's like... Mm-hmm. So anyway, I practice that... Um, as far as speed goes, I like to practice that.
1: Okay. Yeah. That's, that's a good exercise. Instead of just like right, left, right, left. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of speed, I, um, I, if, if I would ever take up drumming, my end goal would be to play eyeless by slipknot. It's, uh, like I'm, I'm still trying to figure out if the drummer was actually playing that fast, but there's like, there's like a, a, a sort of a fill at the beginning uh-huh. that's like inhumanly fast. Okay, and I gotta I'm like, check I, that out. I gotta... Like, that That would be my end goal.
0: Okay, so our <laughs> listeners out there, uh, check out Eyeless.
1: Eyeless by Slipknot. It's a really by good Slipknot. song. The Eyeless. drums are really fast. And it's in the beginning? Yeah, I mean, well, there's a drum track in the be- beginning that's really fast, but th- that's not what I'm talking about. I I'm talking about like, actually, the actual Is songs. it like
0: in the intro or is it like further in the um,
1: song? It's like, just before the beat drops sort of
0: okay okay so yeah. listen for like a really fast fill drum fill yes. right it's a drum fill like yeah like that okay i'll check that out
1: i mean like it's not it's not like like super super fast but like if you're like just thinking about someone playing that actually play like physically yeah. that's crazy um
0: cool. <laughs> i'm gonna check that out
1: yeah um so how many hours on average would you say you spend drumming per year This is a good question for people who think that they need to practice eight hours a day for every single day for the rest of their life. Right.
0: So you're saying per year, per year. I would have to get a calculator out. Yeah. So maybe um, maybe
1: like per week or month is better. It
0: has changed through the years. When I was younger, I practiced more because I was I had more time and I needed to be better and I wanted to be better. And I was more sort of like I was more hungry to, to be better. Um, and I enjoyed practicing I liked it a lot Um, I had a place to practice a little warehouse that my mom shared with me and she put her furniture in there and I put my drums in there and I got to practice there all the time 24 7 if I wanted to so on a day off in a given day off I would practice for five or six hours probably you know but let's say to answer the question nowadays in a year I will probably, because I only, I don't practice every day because I'm on the road sometimes. And mm-hmm. I consider sound check and the show during a given day. I consider that enough, enough, not practice. Cause it's not really the same thing. Playing and practice is not the same thing.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's not bad. Like playing, if you, if you're playing five sets a night and going and playing in the studio the, earlier that day or something like that, that's a lot of playing. And that's great. I mean, that's getting your, it's kind of practice in a way. But practice is where you start and stop and you work things out and you pick things out that you want to work on and you work on them and you break them down and that kind of, you know what I mean? Like really mm-hmm. work on things. That's different than playing. Practicing is different than playing. But I would say, let's answer that question, how many hours per year? I would probably say probably 30 hours a year. I would say if I was to break it down to like mm. 20 minutes here, 30 minutes there, that yeah. kind of thing per year, I would say about maybe 30 hours a year yeah. i'm guessing something like that maybe more mm-hmm. yeah what's the next okay. question
1: um does tour life ever get old
0: does touring life ever get old um it can for some people for me luckily it does not because i have been doing it so long i've learned how to make it to where i enjoy it you know what i mean mm-hmm. like i bring things with me purposely so that touring will not get old because if i'd let it get old it will get on. And I've heard some interviews with artists, big rock stars and stuff that said that, you know, they'd be out on the road or something and they would check into their hotel. And as soon as that door closed, it was like a a prison door shutting. They had to sit there and wait all day and then maybe do a sound check and then maybe do the show. And then after the show, it was an isolated kind of lonely life. And they've Mm -hmm. got back at home, they've got this wife and these kids that they wish they could be with. And it just like hurt their heart to be out on the road. And so they quit. Mm -hmm. They ended up quitting. Um, For me, I bring things along with me that are interesting. Like I ride my one wheel every Mm -hmm. day that it's not that I can because I love getting out. I cannot stand sitting around in a hotel room, staring at the walls, watching TV or whatever. That's just not me. I just don't, I would rather get out and do stuff. So I discovered the one wheel, which is like an electronic kind of skateboard type thing. And for me, it's like being able to snowboard anywhere. Mm -hmm. And that is just total magic to me, to be able to stand on a board and ride and carve and just like you're snowboarding down a hill, except go anywhere on sidewalks, parking lots, um, trails, yeah, wherever, you know. Um, And I love it. That that really keeps me busy. Um, Mm -hmm. And also, uh, I am a filmmaker, so I do mostly music videos. So I'm either editing a music video or... Uh, writing a treatment or doing some kind of work like that for a video project that I'm doing. So that it keeps me pretty busy. Mm-hmm. So yeah. yeah, I love touring. I really do. You've been out on the road with me, Amelie. So, you know, yeah. it's kind of yeah. fun. You know what the routine is like the runner mm-hmm. van and you go to sound check and you wait around for everybody to get ready. You run through like three or four songs and then you may have lunch or something and then you go back and get ready for the show and it just yeah. keeps going. There's and going. a
1: lot of hurry up and wait kind of thing. Like, yes, you're like so bored. You're like, oh, well, I'm not doing anything, but I can't leave. I have to stay here and <laughs> exactly. I have to wait.
0: <laughs> exactly. And then when you have a meet and greet, that's hurry up and wait for the meet and greet and then do the meet and greet and then hurry up and wait for the show. And then after the show, it's hurry up and wait for the runner van and then it's hurry up and wait for the bus to come back to pick everybody up to go to hurry up and wait to go to the next town. So, yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, have you ever regretted going on a tour or doing a show?
0: Um ever regretted going on a tour or doing a show? There have been some shows that we, that I, I can't think of any off the top of my head, regretted doing, but uh, no, I don't think there ever has been a tour that I ever regretted. Even the ones that we've been uh, sort of up in, Canada in the wintertime where it's like freezing, freezing cold. Mm -hmm. You could easily regret that because it's freezing cold outside, you know. And we just did one last year. We didn't regret it, but I'm just saying it would be easy to because we played hockey arenas the whole tour, which were freezing cold. So Mm. it's freezing cold outside, and then you walk inside the hockey arena Mm. and they try to keep that ice going. So they put some kind of plastic or whatever down Mm -hmm. or wood or something, and you're standing on that, and it's not warm. It's still cold. You still feel the cold on your feet. Yeah. So i like, can't wait to get up on that stage and where it's not freezing cold anymore, you know. And anyway, um, that that was that would be easy to regret, but of course I didn't. I, I loved it. Sawyer Brown was great, and mm-hmm. um, we had a, it was a great routine every day. Catering was awesome, and uh, the crowds were amazingly huge, you know, because Sawyer Brown and us. It was mm-hmm. it was super great. So I I cannot think if there was any tour that I really regret ever doing. Um
1: that's probably I, a good thing. <laughs>
0: yeah, because everything has its own little challenge mm-hmm. and all that. I guess I guess maybe I enjoy the challenge of stuff, you know. Yeah. But I can't think of any that I regretted doing. Yeah. Um
1: can I add on to this question? Sure, absolutely. <laughs> and ask were there ever any like like are there any that you really remember that were super dead crowds? Like just completely like, uh, oh, like yeah. nothing like they're just not
0: interested at all. Absolutely yes. <laughs> there was and this was more back in our club days, um, when we were playing this club down in Auburn, Alabama. It was like a college crowd down there, and it was a club, a college club, and we had not put a record out at this point. But we were you know Lone Star and we were, I think we were still Texas C at the time. Um, so we were playing up on stage, and it was a college crowd. So they didn't care about; they didn't even listen to country music. I don't mm, think they were just. Mm-hmm. It was a country bar, though, so they would go there and drink. And so they were all completely ignoring us. And they were back in a <laughs> on the back of the club, as far away from us as they could get. And we're play; we're contracted to play five sets a night. You know, you get up and play forty five minutes, take a fifteen minute break, and then keep doing that should have um, started
1: doing stand up or something. I know, right?
0: So <laughs> we we kept I mean it was it was embarrassing because we would play and then there was the dance floor was empty. The the everybody was just like getting as far away and talking and hanging out and drinking like on the other side of the club so we thought, "Okay, we're going to do another song and if nobody pays attention, we're dropping our drawers." <laughs> so they didn't and we did. <laughs> we dropped our drawers and it did not take long for us to get the crowd over in front of us <laughs> let me just say they paid attention when we did that they were like hey look they've got their pants at their ankles They're of course now let, let me let me clarify the picture we all had long sleeve shirts on mm-hmm. and long tailed <laughs> shirts you know like when you untuck your shirt it's long so we dropped our drawers and we had boxers on or whatever and and, and our drawers were at our ankles but our shirts covered everything but it was kind of a <laughs> It's <laughs> so like I guess, you, You're
1: like, oh, man, this is boring. You turn around. Two minutes later, you turn around and you're standing it was,
0: with your pants And it was down. like one person was like, hey, did you look at the band? And they're like, oh, my God, they've got their pants down. So they all started <laughs> running over there. And they, it started becoming like, what are they looking at? Uh, the band's got their pants down. Let's go over there. <laughs> and they were. It, hey, it, you got to do what you got to do. We got do. their attention. I will just say that. <laughs>
1: You we managed to liven up a dead crowd. That's, I know, and that's a I, have,
0: I have never had a more difficult time playing drums with my pants down by my, <laughs> by my feet. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I didn't drop my drawers because I couldn't. I'm sitting on the drum stool, right? I couldn't. It would have been very hard. But anyway, so there you go.
1: That's funny. I've, I've never heard that story before.
0: And we have had some We've had some dead crowds before uh, where when we were starting out, but I don't think we've ever had any really dead... No, we have. We have had some dead crowds in certain theaters, and I can't remember where it was, but they, they were just, let's just say the audience was very polite. Mm, <laughs> mm. <laughs> we would play, and they would like clap. <laughs> golf. It was like a golf clap. Yeah. And then nobody, it was just kind of, they just weren't into it, you know, and we were trying so hard to put on a good show, and it was just like, God, this is like work. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. you have those. That's just it, that yeah, happens.
1: Especially when starting out, like people tend to, um like no matter how supportive people are, some people just do not care yeah they're like i don't know you i don't, I don't care and about also you.
0: when you're starting out you don't have your show down yet you don't yeah have, exactly, you don't know yeah. how to put and a you, show together to keep people watching and listening yeah
1: and people tend to feed off of other people's energy so if it's yeah. in a bar somewhere where pe- everyone's distracted even if they're like paying attention if they're not super excited then other people aren't going to be
0: excited and right. it's just yeah. like That's no not yeah, one I, cares. I, I think you're right i think um energy in a crowd is sort of infectious, you know, it can, yeah. it, can it can be yeah. passed from one person to another person. So yeah, good question.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, so how long did it take uh, going from wanting to be in a band to going on tour?
0: From like wanting sign, to be in a... Signing m- a contract, I Oh, guess. okay. Well, that's a good... Um, now, are you talking about... Uh, let me ask you this. If you were asking the question, do you mean specifically Lone Star or me personally? Like You my, personally. Me personally. Okay. So when I was 13... I saw, had that epiphany when I've talked about this on my podcast before, when I was 13, I was in band, I played trumpet and I was walking past the stage and there was a group of guys playing. And when I saw that, that just like, that was the, the, the switch that went on. I was you, like, that's what I want to do.
1: You set down your trumpet case and sat on it. I did. You yeah, told me uh, that, that was story, kind of yeah. a metaphor,
0: right? Or what do we call it? Like, uh, I forget what you, like a metaphor sitting down on my trumpet case. Oh like, yeah. Like closing, closing that
1: chapter of your life ex- and opening sort of the yeah, chapter of tribes right? like, like that's.
0: That's the best use I got out of that trumpet was a good seat. No, I got, I was pretty good at trumpet. I will say, because I was like first chair. I was always first or second chair. I was always in the first four, let's say.
1: Yeah.
0: Whether I was in the lower grade, if I was seventh and eighth grade and I was seventh, I was still in the top four, even though I was a year behind those other people. And if I was in eighth grade and there were seventh graders below me, I was always like first or second chair. I always kind of, I was into it. I was really, I was a good trumpet player. I practiced and I, I did a good job, but Mm -hmm. the drums took over in my heart and in my mind and in my soul. Mm -hmm. I knew that's what I wanted to do. And I will say that the more that I learned that not everybody could do that, which I kind of thought in the beginning, I thought, well, Mm -hmm. everybody can play drums, right? Like (laughs) it's so easy, you just hit this and that. and, And the more I learned that that was not the case, that like a lot of people really can't play drums. That's kind of a sort of a difficult skill to be able to play to separate your right hand and your left hand and your right foot and your left foot like that um and keep it steady and all that stuff uh let's see so 13 uh 14 15 16 17 18 19 six years mm-hmm. so six years from saying oh that's really what i want to do to practicing and collecting drums and trying to get a drum set and trying to get in a band and Getting in a band and that band falling apart and kind of like garage band type things mm-hmm. in high school. Yeah. Until I was like, you know, someone said, "Hey, we're we got this professional band that we're making full time living. We want you to be the drummer." That mm-hmm. would have been like, is that what you mean? Like when I first started. Yeah. yeah. Making a living.
1: Yeah. And I heard <laughs> you told me the story a while ago, and I thought it was really funny. Um, if you still remember it, um, when you. First, I think it was when you first joined band and you started playing the trumpet Yeah, and because your dad really wanted you to play trumpet because right. he did. And he was like, oh, I have a trumpet for you. You can use my old trumpet. And you brought it in. Everyone had nice, new, shiny brass, and you would have this sad, old,
0: dirty this trumpet. This antique <laughs> of a thing. Yeah. And so it, this instrument that I had, let's just call it an instrument that I had that my dad pulled out from the 1950s. It had to be 40s because no fifties he was is the 1950s he was in band and he was a in high school kind of like back to the future you know you go Mm -hmm. back and that would be that would have been my dad um and he had this this instrument that was kind of i called it sort of like the missing link between the cornet and the trumpet Mm -hmm. so your cornet is say this long and a trumpet is i'm holding my hands out longer like it's longer a cornet is this size a cornet is is a little longer this instrument was right in between right Mm -hmm. in the middle Mm -hmm. it it was shorter than a trumpet and longer than a cornet and when i first came into band my band director said
1: what the hell is that thing I'm just imagining, exactly like, true. if you ever watch Spongebob, when it's, like, it's smooth animation, but then when they want to show something really disgusting, they, like, zoom in, and it's, like, super detailed, oh, like, right, okay, disgusting yeah. mold, like, that's, <laughs> that's what I'm imagining. Yes. You and walk in, it's like, Oh, my what? God,
0: it was smelly. When you open the case, just that smell of, like, an antique. Oh, yeah, like the, going the into like an store. dirty
1: brass. Dirty that's brass. That's, like,
0: just smells gross. Old saliva in there that is from, like, Mm-mm. the 1950s. <laughs> it's, like, Can you, almost
1: imagine. you blow on the trumpet, and, like, a bird comes out or something <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> bro was like i was sleeping in there <laughs> yeah yeah that that was yeah in a cartoon that's what that would have been yeah. if it yeah. was a uh, like a simpsons cartoon like a, a lamp
1: happened. falls out like a ladder <laughs>
0: <laughs> a toolbox of tools uh, spills out wait no, i think uh, there's
1: something else in there yeah. oh my god it's my cat that went missing oh there it
0: is so yeah um Anyway, so that was, yeah, my experience with the trumpet. But then I will say my dad came through in fine fashion the next year. So I played that a year and a half. So at Christmas in seventh grade, the year and a half mark, um, i playing the trumpet. My dad went and bought me a brand new box Stradivarius nickel-plated trumpet. So I went from having the worst instrument in the whole trumpet section. And when I say trumpet section, I'm talking about 14 trumpets, Mm. 14 cornets, 14 cornets. And... I don't think anybody actually had a trumpet trumpet, you know, mm-hmm. until my dad bought me this really nice instrument. It's like I remember it was like $525 him saying that it was probably the most expensive trumpet I think that you probably could have gotten for especially for school band. It was like mm-hmm. way above and beyond. Yeah. And I opened up my case that day coming back from school, you know, when you go back to school mm-hmm. after Christmas holiday after you've had your, you know, all your presents and stuff. And I opened the case and lift the flap, and it was like, oh. And this time, doves flew out of the <laughs> yeah. instead live of garbage <laughs> And instead of rusty garbage, it was live doves flying out. <laughs> oh. And everybody was like, oh, dude, man. Of course, we were in seventh grade. Was like, oh, dude, man, look. That's such a cool trumpet. Can I play? We all had higher voices. But yeah. Um, I went from having the worst instrument in the section to the best. And that kind of was encouraging to me. So I practiced it a lot and I got really good at it and all that. But then the drums just, it really took over, you know, and yep. I decided in 10th grade I was going to not play trumpet and focus on drums and I did. And-
1: yeah. Sometimes you're in the right field, but not quite on the right path. Yeah, right. Like you were drawn to music, but, and, and did you feel like trumpet was a passion or did you like before you found drums?
0: Yeah, I did. I did have a passion for trumpet and I would listen to songs on the radio that had trumpet in it. And I was inspired by that. And I wanted to so bad be like the lead trumpet player in some orchestra or something like that. I would watch like a concert trumpetist, trumpeters, trumpeters, and, uh, I would be really inspired, but I just knew in my heart, I wasn't that good. I wasn't that good. Mm. Um, if I really focused on it, I probably could, but the the wanting to play drums came easier for me yeah. and and it was just like for me like walking down the street i would hear songs on the radio drums and i would think to myself instantly like i could play that i know i could play that there's absolutely no doubt about it
1: mm-hmm. and
0: uh that's kind of what took over you know is mm-hmm. do do what's the easiest thing that comes to you the most fun to where it's not really like a job you know it's yeah. just fun yeah And I still do that to this day. I get up there and bang on things for a living.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, Why is it easier to play 6-8 time than it is to play 4-4 time?
0: Why is it easier? So there's an individual. I think I remember that question. Um, Mary Beth was asking me if uh, why, when she plays drums, she's not really a drummer, but she can play drums a little bit. Uh, And she says, I don't know why 6-8 time is easier for me to play than a regular uh, three-four time or four-four time. Now, for those that don't know, six-eight uh, is like the blues, kind of like a blues riff. Mm-hmm. It's like I'm just gonna try and do a little six-eight. It's, it's like doom, 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 doom. That you know, like six-eight blues. Um, and I think that the reason why, in my opinion, why that is easier for you, Mary Beth, to play, is because there's there's more time in between mm-hmm. the, the downbeat and the backbeat to think about where you are. And, and it just seems more natural to go doom, but doom, doom, like, because it's sort of more sort of spread out. There's more time in between to sort of think about it. Whereas three, four time is kind of like a little more hurried. It's like doom, 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 like a waltz. And then four, four time doom, but boom, 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 like that, it's, you have to, it's quicker, it comes faster and you have to sort of react quicker Mm. and your limbs sometimes don't want to do that. But six, eight time is kind of more spread out and it's more like, okay, I know what I'm doing.
1: Yeah. I also think it's, um, I could be wrong about this, but I I agree with you that it's slower and you have more time to think about it, but also it's, you feel it more like, um, like it's, uh, it's more soulful, I guess. Like you when you, you can't really feel a beat, if it goes too fast or if it's just too robotic, it's kind of harder to play because you can't really feel it. Yeah. But with 6-8, it's like you can kind of like groove to it as you play it and you don't have to like really keep track of it. You can just play it.
0: Yeah, and I think so. that on the backbeat of a 6-8 beat, there's always, it seems like there's a lot of times there's a guitar that's playing with you on the backbeat like... doom gank. doom, doom and they're waiting for you to hit that back beat Mm -hmm. and it comes together like that. I think that's what's fun about it.
1: Yeah. Uh, What's your favorite piece to the drum
0: set? Okay, what's my favorite piece to the drum set?
1: Uh, I'd interpret that as your favorite drum.
0: My favorite drum. I would say probably the snare drum Hmm. because it is the most signature sound on the kit. Like When you hear most drum kits, the toms kind of tend to sound similar the kick drum sounds similar. The hi-hat sounds kind of similar. And now now I know there's be some drummers out there that go, no, that's not true. But I'm just saying, generally, the snare is kind of like the attitude of the song. Mm-hmm. If it's a slow song, it's kind of a lower, fatter snare or whatever. If it's a more up-tempo song, it tends to yeah. be a little tighter. And it's just like, that's your...
1: And it's right in the middle for a reason. Yeah,
0: yeah. exactly. Right, yeah. And it's kind of like, uh, usually... Um, In a lot of cases, it'll start a fill, or you can do a whole fill on the snare. You can do all kinds of cool work. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, the snare is, it's the backbeat of the song. Uh, Yeah, I think it's kind of more like a signature sound, and that's why the snare is, well, I will say that it's so important that, here's a good example, uh, a proof of that, is that there's no other instrument on stage that I have, that I have a duplicate of, a backup. I don't have any other backup. The only other backup thing I have is a kick drum pedal. In case the pedal fails, then I can switch it out in the middle of a show because sometimes the spring will break or something will happen to the kick drum pedal. But if the snare drum breaks or, you know, sounds weird or something like that, uh, something happens to it, I have a backup. I have a second one that I can just Mm. switch out at any time. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like a spare tire of a car. Yeah. So, yeah. To me, that just says that it's important right there.
1: And it's also very versatile. Like, personally, I love jazz music and the um the brushes on it sound so nice and they sound so different than if you use regular sticks that's true yeah brushes
0: there's a whole art to playing brushes Mm -hmm. and one of the things about playing brushes that you kind of have to have this kind of a almost like a must-have is that you know how drum heads are either clear Mm -hmm. or they're white coated yeah I was I was the, gonna say you yeah. can't you can't
1: use it on any I mean, other. You
0: could hit the drum with the brush and and if as long as you're just popping it, you're yeah. just hitting it like a backbeat. But it doesn't but,
1: sound the same unless yeah, you brush if you it. If
0: you stir with the they call it like stir in the soup. Mm-hmm. If you rub those brushes across that white coated head, there's a reason why that texture is there. That sort of mm-hmm. batter um, is that white sort of texture. It's like sandpaper almost. Yeah. And it gives okay. that sh- that that's part of it. So yeah, that's like my that.
1: favorite. Like I love drums and. If a song has good drums, then I will like the song. Um, And if it doesn't have good drums, then I won't like the song, typically. So what if a song
0: doesn't have drums at all? What if it's like, does that that, mean you wouldn't like it? That's why I just added typically, because I was thinking, (laughs) like,
1: "Mm," I mean, like, synthetic drums I like as well. Um, And songs without drums, they can be good. But my favorite thing that a drum is able to do is probably the brushes, the sound that it makes when you Mm. stir it, like... I love that. That's probably, it's also probably one of my favorite parts of jazz music. Yeah. The brushes, the brushes and the, um, the bass. Yeah. Probably my favorites. Um, next question. What's your favorite genre to perform connecting to what we were just talking about as well. My favorite
0: genre to perform. Um, well, I obviously I love playing with Lone Star and I love country that we do, but I think in, in a, if in a fantasy world, if I were to be the drummer for like, uh, one of those seventies rock bands, because Mm -hmm. I grew up in the Mm seventies and the late seventies listening to, and 1977 is my favorite era of music. We got cats me on, I think they're hungry. (laughs) (laughs) Um, my favorite, uh, year of, and genre is pop rock in 1977. Now I'll, I will put a caveat in there. Disco was at its about height, I think in 77 slash 78 disco was like, I, now I'm talking non-disco, <laughs> non-disco, uh, seventies pop music was probably the best, kind of the golden age of drums and recording. And, you know, where bands would take like bands like Fleetwood Mac would take, uh, over a year to make an album, that kind of thing, you know, cause yeah. you know, the music's gonna be good if it's going to take that long to make. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh that kind of thing if i was in a band or even like if i wasn't on tour with lone star and they said hey you could put a band together any here's here's a here's an agent and here's a bunch of clubs you could play or whatever put a band together i would be a 70s kind of a Mm -hmm. 70s pop uh mid to late 70s maybe early 80s at the latest Mm -hmm. um band and that's kind of my favorite genre to play if they can consider that a genre really yeah Yeah. I'd,
1: i'd consider that a genre yeah. I think
0: 70s pop is sort of a genre, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it does, it is, does vary, but I think that it's...
1: It definitely has a certain sound to it, which yeah. I'd consider to be a genre. Yeah. If, yeah. if I were to play drums for... Um, if I were to be able to play drums, I would want to be able to play at least two j- genres, jazz and metal. They're very different, oh, wow. but I'd want to do the, the um, two extremes, That's I cool. guess.
0: Yeah. yeah. You could be like a session player doing like metal... Well, usually metal bands usually have their own drummer, but I, I will say that there probably are some session drummers out there that play metal, mm-hmm. that do metal songs, you know. Um, uh, I can't think of who, any names right now, but I'm sure there are some session drummers out there. Yeah. I know that Tommy Aldridge the, that played mm-hmm. with White Snake and all that stuff back in the, Tommy, uh, Tommy Aldridge played with, also with Pat Travers and Ozzy Osbourne and all that. I think that he has, he played sort of session sessions and played Mm -hmm. metal like he's he would be in the forefront of my mind a session a metal session drummer
1: (laughs) yeah i would probably like play drums in a metal band but then do jazz sessions on the side yeah right or just at least just practice the other genre wow Um, that's if you
0: could pull that off man you'd be that that would be amazing Mm -hmm. you could be a session jazz player and a metal player
1: that would be awesome yeah um if you could do a duet with a guitarist who would you choose
0: oh my gosh duet with a guitarist now Uh,
1: this might include two answers because the way i see it um one answer might be who suits your style best right but then the other might be a guitarist that you really respect and that you would change your style to just to do
0: one duet with so i'll try to combine the two one that i would you know Respect a lot, and, and as a guitarist, and one that I just happen to, I would say probably Mark Knopfler, just off the top mm-hmm. of my head. Just, just I, I really had time to think about it. I would probably come up with a better answer, but Mark Knopfler, because Dire Straits and all that stuff, and um, uh, I just he's such a great guitarist, and the the way he plays and uh, the style of music that he that he that he puts out there is sometimes a little jazzy. It can be kind of a little jazzy but also uh, pop and rock and that kind of thing. And he's just a great guitarist and very original sounding. And I would have a blast. Uh, mm-hmm. I think I would have a blast doing work if, you know, with, with Mark Knopfler who played with the Dire Straits. Who, that's basically his whole thing is Dire Straits. Mm-hmm, that's cool. So yeah, that would be my short answer anyway.
1: Okay, yeah. um, what's your favorite song to perform? And it doesn't have to be a Lone Star song
0: favorite song to perform or like, oh i think okay i have an answer um i'm and i'm of course my i'll give two answers my favorite lone star song to perform which is amazed i love mm-hmm. playing amazed and i love what it meant to people and the people got married to it and i try to play it but it's a challenge to try and play it perfect every single night like i was in the studio i kind of had that mentality when i play it mm-hmm. so it comes off even better it just keeps getting better and better pardon the pun Then just keeps getting better <laughs> <It's funny. laughs> sounds familiar um and uh the second part of answer, uh favorite song non-lone star song to play would be summer of 69 by brian adams mm-hmm. we do a rock medley at the end of our show mm-hmm. and we get to rock out to that part of that song not the whole song but
1: May I file a complaint? I'm yes. very upset that you guys took my Sharona out of the rock medley. Oh I know. That <laughs> was, was my, my favorite resonant. one.
0: So the reason we well so the reason we put it in there is I was trying to come up with I was gonna do a drum solo, but I thought it would be more fun if the band could kind of jam with me a little bit on my mm-hmm. solo and my drum solo. So I came up with a whole bunch of songs, like intros of songs, mostly intros, that start with drums and then or drums and guitar. And then the band comes in. And um My Sharona was one of them. It was like mm-hmm. do, da, do, da, do, da, do, da, do 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 So we did that. Yep. We did Walk This Way, which is like that thing. And also um I think Back in Black was kind of one that starts out with the rim click yeah, You know, so it was a whole medley of we called them snippets. That was the name on our set list that said Rock Snippets. Um, And then we had a meeting and we were trying to work up a new show. Said Instead of snippets, why don't we pick some rock songs that everybody loves, that the whole band could jam on, that people, like when you start playing that song, people just go, oh my God, that song, I love that song. Mm -hmm. Like Summer of 69 and all that stuff. Not that My Sharona isn't of that thing but we were trying to think of more like bands you know like Mm -hmm. like you know like um uh well brian adams is is a band but he's an artist but you know we do a little genesis and we do Mm -hmm. a little bit of um oh my gosh uh we do uh Genesis and we do a little bit of John Cougar Mellencamp and we just do all these really cool rock songs in our medley. And the thing was that we were trying to do is create songs that could flow into one another very easily. Mm -hmm. So that's when we came up with the ones that we do. So if you haven't heard our rock medley, um, our uh, ending, our little encore that we do when we come out, um, come to a Lone Star show and check out the, and stay around as they say, wait for it, wait for it, Mm -hmm. wait around for the very last thing and you won't regret it.
1: I don't. I don't mean this as an insult, but that's my favorite part of the show is the rock medley.
0: Uh, yeah, it is. It's yeah. just the like, and it's our favorite part too because we get to rock out.
1: Like I, I usually know what's coming, but it's still like, oh yeah, I love the song. Yeah. Oh yeah, there's
0: that one. Like we do Jump by Van Halen mm-hmm. and stuff like that, and a uh, little ZZ Top and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And I think it was also our way to kind of salute some of the people that have passed away recently. You know, like the uh, the bass player for ZZ Top had passed away and. Um, of course, um, Eddie Van Halen. Uh, a couple of years ago, I believe, several years ago, had passed mm-hmm. away, and um, so it was our kind of salute to them too. And and on our mm-hmm. video screens, it shows their picture and says, you know, rest in peace or something like that. Yeah. You know, so
1: I went to a Led Zepp- Zeppelin concert one time.
0: A Led Zeppelin concert?
1: Yes, I believe so. It was a long time ago. I can't remember wow. exactly, but we were like way at the back, like on the lawn with the people that. Oh. Are smoking weed and stuff so (laughs) i was like nine or something and i was like "Mm, "Wow, it smells a little funky here (laughs) and and like i look over my music teacher's there with his family i'm like oh hey (laughs) how you doing
0: wow that's Um, amazing
1: and another thing that you guys took out um i was thinking about this the other day that bit that you had where um you had an extra pair of um drumsticks with like yarn like a like it's a, a knitted scarf like okay. almost oh. done on there and they're like like they would start talking and they'd be like oh keach he's back there you can't talk what are, what are you doing back there keach and you'd hold up the thing and pretend oh, to be I'm knitting like that was the, knitting. Okay, yeah, with I... the drumsticks <laughs> yeah that was really funny that
0: was funny yeah um yeah i remember that i was just trying to make everybody smile but everybody laugh you know mm-hmm. yeah so oh well um yeah, well, those are some great questions. Is that the last one?
1: No, it is oh, not the last one. Oh <laughs> my gosh!
0: Okay, well, let's take one more, and then we'll and then we'll uh, we'll sign off. What's a, what's the best one out of the last ones you have there?
1: I can't even read my printing. Um, oh no! Okay, let's see. let's see. Let's see. Let's um, see. Well, you said you wanted to answer this question. Okay. Because um, I asked you before, uh, what food do you eat while on the road, and when? Oh, okay,
0: the food that I, eat. Um, well, I will say that when I'm at home. I have one kind of eating schedule, let's say, you know, the, the where you have like breakfast, lunch and dinner and that kind of thing at certain times. And when I'm on the road, it's totally different, absolutely different. Mm-hmm. So when I'm on the road, we're usually up late. You know, the bus will roll out at after midnight usually when the crew gets done and everything will roll out. We'll start with that. And then I'll end up going to bed. A little bit late like maybe one in the morning or something which means i need to sleep until about i don't know nine or ten or something like that Mm -hmm. to get a full night's rest and that's about when the bus pulls in we get our hotel so i kind of skip breakfast really you know i may have a banana or something maybe but i'll have coffee and that kind of thing out on the road and the bus will pull into the hotel and i'll I'll have lunch and then before sound check and then after sound check i don't eat before the show like before i play drums and that's because I just, it makes me feel full and lazy and kind of like I just don't feel good. I mm-hmm. feel full and bloated, that kind of feeling, if I've just had a meal before I play drums. So I try to go, my energy level is much higher on an empty stomach than it is on a full stomach. And so I'll wait until after the show to eat dinner. So that's just a wacky eating schedule. It's terrible. I know it's not good, but I'll have lunch and then dinner. Late dinner, which is you're really not supposed to eat past about eight o'clock at night, but sometimes mm-hmm. our shows at eight, and yeah. we don't get to eat until eleven or ten.
1: And that that midnight meal is is really 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 uh, delicious. I know really, I've had I've yes. had a few when I was on, um, when you took yeah, me you along, with you guys, ourselves. and like they have like. You know, um, like burgers and pizza and it's like oh it's one in the morning but I'm so hungry (laughs) Um,
0: and by the end of the day so if I've eaten at like noon or one or something like that sound check's at three so if I eat at like noon or one because I haven't had breakfast and then I wait until almost midnight to eat that's like 12 hours without a meal Mm -hmm. so I'm definitely hungry and ready to eat and it's terrible but that's just I can't eat a meal and do a show and feel good about it I just can't my energy's low and I just don't have a very good show. I'm just kind of like indigestion and that kind of thing. Um, also, so when I'm home, my schedule is breakfast. As soon as I get up, have coffee and then I'll have like, uh, some scrambled eggs or something and then I'll eat lunch and then I'll go run, uh, work out, you know, I'll wait about four to six hours. Again, I can't do it on an empty stomach. So I'll do it sometime before the sun goes down. I'll go run for 30 minutes and then right after I run, I'll have dinner somewhere around six or seven. That's totally different than like out on the road. So I hope that answers the question.
1: Yeah. And can I ask one more question? Yeah, sure. What was the largest stage you've performed in or um, stadium?
0: The largest stadium? Uh, Probably, I think it was when we were on the George Strait tour back in 2001, I believe. 2001 or 2002. It either, I think it was 2001. Um, we were on George, it was called Straight Fest. Like George, George Strait had mm-hmm. on this big mm-hmm. thing. And it was Alan Jackson. It was George Strait was the main closer. Alan Jackson, Leanne Womack. It was us. It was Asleep at the Wheel. It was just like all these great bands um, playing on the same bill. And it was these big, you can almost imagine, like big football stadiums. Uh, you know, 20 30,000 people in there and it was just Mm -hmm. crazy big crowds that's probably the biggest that we've ever played and it was on a consistent like it was on a whole tour it went for months uh, months at a time you know we'd Mm -hmm. go out every weekend and do these big huge giant shows and um, if you Go on YouTube and look at the video for With Me, the song With Me, Mm -hmm. which I shot all that footage, you know, with my film camera. You can see some of those stadiums in that tour because that's about when I shot a Mm -hmm. lot of the footage for that tour. I mean, for that video I shot out on the George Strait tour. So you can see some of those stadiums. Some of them are empty because I'm shooting during sound check and that kind of thing. But I think you can also see some of the full crowds and stuff like that in that video. Mm -hmm. So With Me video. Uh, on youtube it's on there that's i shot all that you can kind of tell i shot it because it's you know like homemade looking you know it's yeah. like you could tell i'm on the bus i'm in the studio and i'm like um uh, on during sound check and that kind of thing
1: and does the volume of the crowd and when i say volume i mean like um like not not um sound wise i mean like the amount of people in a, in a stadium yeah. or on a stage the roar of the crowd does that does that usually affect you? Like if there are a lot of people, does that start making you nervous or is it the same as always?
0: Um, it doesn't make me nervous but because uh, I've been doing it for so long, but it does give me energy. It does make me mm. sort of focus a little more, concentrate a little more. And, then, and I will say that a lot of musicians experience this on stage, and I like to call it magic on stage. When you have a big crowd like that and you get out there to play and everybody is just on their game you know what i mean it's like you are the quarterback it's like everybody's a quarterback and everybody pulls together and plays so perfectly because you're in front of all these people that that's what i that's what i i will say magic happens during Mm -hmm. that time you experience that magic and uh that's i love it that's that's just one of the best parts about playing in a good band like this successful band is getting out there and playing in front of big crowds and feeling that magic happen you know when everybody's on and everybody's just like playing perfect and the crowd responds to that
1: mm-hmm.
0: especially yeah. when you end the song like the song and you hit that last note and everybody just when you have a good ending it's a good ending mm-hmm. I mean it's yeah. like people appreciate that and, Yeah, uh, I love that I love the reaction of the crowd on a good ending well thanks for joining me Amelie
1: my pleasure
0: I appreciate it my co-host here let's do it again sometime yeah this is our second or third time I can't second remember. second time okay. so cool this has been Keach Rainwater and Amelie Rainwater for Designated Drummer see you next time
1: bye bye y'all